Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Samuel 14? It is the continuing story of uh, Absalom's exile. And it started with, of course, Amnon and how he had um, raped his sister, Tamar, and Absalom killed Amnon. Then the king exiled him, and he's been gone for quite a while, some years, three, maybe three years or so. Now in that time, Joab, who is the commander of the armies of Israel, a, a significant character in the reign of uh, David, is trying to play both ends against the middle. Amnon, who was killed by Absalom, was the heir to the throne. He was the oldest son. That would now fall to Absalom, who is in exile by the king, his father. And I'm sure David has struggled with making sure he has uh, kept the law in the way that he should. Because actually Absalom was guilty of a capital crime. The king, of course, would have some latitude Joab knows that David is now about 60 years old and that some point in time there needs to be an heir to the throne appointed so that he can be, begin to be involved in the affairs of the court um, and in leadership, which is a training that could take years. that when the king would die, the heir apparent would be able to step right in in a, a seamless transition. This would have been on Joab's mind. And so he maintains contact with uh, Absalom, obviously, and he is still the king's commander of armies. His concern would probably be as much for himself and his important position as it would be for the stability of the kingdom in the event of the death of the king. At this particular point, there is no son of the king, there is no heir to the throne who is, who is being instructed in the ways of administration and leadership so that he could assume that leadership at the death of the king. Now, with all that in mind, Absalom has been, been gone away for some years in exile. But reconciliation comes as we look at 2 Samuel 14, and we have to remember this whole thing is against the backdrop of David's sin 
with in the in the situation of Bathsheba wasn't just the adultery, but it was also the conspiracy to commit murder, the murder and the lying and 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 so forth. So the prophet Nathan had told David that God had forgiven him, but there would be consequences. The sword wouldn't leave his family and there would be terrible consequences to pay. And so immediately with the loss of that baby and then all of this that happens, the rape of his daughter by his son and then the other son kills that son, it's just one thing after another. So the consequences of his sin are coming heavily upon him. And that's the greater story for people to understand because he doesn't, he doesn't leave a good example to his children uh, with regard to righteousness and, and moral living. And so it becomes a little easier, I suppose, for his children to fall into a path of darkness because their father has not left them the best of examples in his own sin and selfishness. So the story continues here in 2 Samuel chapter 14 and Joab is a major character in this, uh, in this chapter. Joab comes and he reasons with the king. Joab the son of Zeruiah perceived that the king's heart longed for Absalom and Joab sent to Tekoa and took from there a wise, or the word can mean shrewd, crafty woman. And he said to her, please pretend to be a mourner and please put on mourning clothes and do, and do not anoint yourself with oil, but be as a woman who has mourned many days for the dead and come to the king and speak to him in this manner. And Joab put the words into her mouth. And the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king and fell to the ground and prostrated herself. And she said, save, O king, or help me. And the king said to her, what ails you? She said, truly, I am a woman who is a widow and my husband is dead. Now, this whole thing is made up. But it's to come around to grip the heart of David. My husband is dead. I'm a widow. Your handmaid had two sons. They both fought in the field and there was no rescuer between them. And one of them struck the other one and killed him. Behold, the whole family rose against your handmaid and said, deliver the one that struck his brother whom he slew and so destroy also the heir. And so they shall quench my coal, which is left so as not to leave my husband a name or a remainder upon the face of the earth. And the king said to the woman, go to your house and I will give orders about you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, on me, my lord, the king, be the iniquity. And on my father's house and the king and his throne be guiltless. The king said, whoever speaks to you, bring him to me. And he shall no longer continue to touch you. And she said, I beg you, let the king remember Yahweh, his God, or Yahweh, your God, that the avenger of blood destroy not excessively. 
so that they destroy not my son. Now her story is, this is the only son left, the only one who could inherit the household. Otherwise, as a widower, as a widow, husband dead, other son dead, this remaining son would leave her totally helpless and her household would be literally dissolved. And he said, as Yahweh lives, if one hair of your son shall fall to the earth. And the woman said, may your handmaid speak a word with my Lord, the king. And he said, speak. And the woman said, why have you thought such a thing about the people of Elohim or of God? Now consider not that the king in speaking this word has done so accidentally so that the king shall not bring back his banished one. For die we must and are as water that is spilt on the ground, which could not be gathered up again. And Elohim favors not a soul, but he devises means that he is that, uh, that he that is banished be not cast from him. And now my motive for having come to speak of this thing to the king, my Lord, is because the people have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the king. Perhaps the king will perform the request of his handmaid. For the king will hear to deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man that would destroy me and my son together out of the inheritance of Elohim. Now the reference of course is that when you have land and you are an Israelite, that is yours forever. And this presents an, an extreme situation where this household would be dissolved uh, into another. Now this is all made up. This is just a story that's made up because Joab had told her what to say. And it obviously parallels the story of the two sons of, of David. Uh, and my son together out of the inheritance of Elohim. And your handmaid said, let I pray the word of my Lord, the king be for comfort for as an angel of God. So is my Lord, the king to discern the good and the bad and Yahweh, your God may be with you. Okay. So what Joab is telling the woman to say in her tale, her story the people look to David for absolute leadership and they expect him to lead as though he were the angel of God. And the words that he would speak, and they, they feel this way because of the history of, of David and how he had dealt in the time of Saul with people and how he had dealt with people when he became the king of Judah and how he had dealt with all the people when he became the king of all of Israel. Uh, he always said the right thing. He was very gracious. The people trusted him. And they knew that when he meted out justice, it was the right thing to do, whatever he did. And sometimes it was harsh when he administered justice. But they trusted him. And so this is what she's saying. You're like from, from Joab, because Joab was there when all those things happened. You're like, you're like the angel of God, my Lord, the King, to discern what is good, what is bad. And Yahweh, your God may be with you. David was always known as the King 
who would go and seek the will of God before he went to battle, before he made a decision. And this is how the people see King David. And the king answered and he said to the woman, I beg you not to hide from me anything that I shall ask you. And the woman said, let my Lord, the king, please speak. The king is also a wise and shrewd man. And he knows that this, there's something up here. And so he says, the king said, is the hand of Joab with you and all this? Now, Joab would have brought her to the presence of the king and probably stood in the royal court as the woman made her appeal in telling her story. So Joab is standing there and no doubt Joab has appealed in behalf of Absalom in times past. Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? And the woman answered and said, as your soul lives, my Lord, the king, if anyone can turn to the right or to the left from all that my Lord, the king has spoken for your servant, Joab, he bade me and he put in the mouth of your handmaid all these words in order to bring about the face of the matter. Has your servant Joab done this thing? And my Lord is wise according to the wisdom of an angel of God to know, or uh, the angel of God, to know all that is in the earth. So there's a, there's a great uh, encumbrance placed upon the king. He has no son selected to inherit the throne. His nation, Israel, is a mighty nation. His army is a mighty army. His nation is prosperous. His people have prospered and, and have become happy and blessed under the leadership of David. But there are rumblings that started with David's sin and continue out to how David has not firmly dealt with the situation concerning Absalom. There is no heir to the throne. How, how can we know you, you just can't stumble into inheriting the throne, as I said earlier. It takes a lot of training and instruction. Uh, and the heir to the throne, there comes a time when after his instruction and so forth, he has to sit subservient to the king, but observe all that the king does. So that when the time comes, he is prepared for that. Joab has this concern, Amnon, the heir to the throne who perhaps was being prepared for that is dead and Absalom has been exiled and there's just a little confusion here. And the people look to David to make all the right decisions. They consider him as though he was an angel of God. He makes these decisions. He administers justice in the right way. He's keenly aware of seeking to do the will of God and to obey the law of God. But he's, he's sort of flip-flopping here with regard to his son, Absalom. So there's a big gray area that's not being attended to. And Joab is forcing the issue. So then after, after this, Joab then gives thanks to the king for what he does. The king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all this? She said, yes, as your soul lives. And so you are like the angel of God to know all that is in the earth. Now, 
King said to Joab, behold, you have done this thing. Now go and bring back the young man Absalom. Joab fell on his face to the ground and he prostrated himself and he blessed the king. And Joab said, today your servant knows that I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, O king, in that the king has done the request of your servant. You have listened to me. You're beginning to see my reason and my concern for you and for the throne and for Israel. And so I'm, I'm grateful and blessed that you, that you have given me uh, that you have granted to me this request. Joab arose, went to Geshur. Now that's about 80 miles away from Jerusalem. So in that day, 80 miles was a long way. You know, that was probably four days journey or something. And that meant that Absalom was totally out of the way uh, from everything happening in Jerusalem. So he was out of sight, out of mind. And that was a concern uh, to Joab as well. So he went to Geshur and he brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him turn to his house. Let him go to his house, but I don't want to see him. Don't let his face come into my presence. And Absalom turned to his house and the king's face he did not see. He saw not. Now like Absalom was there, now like Absalom, let's see. Compared to Absalom, like Absalom, there was not a man in all of Israel as beautiful to be as totally praiseworthy for beauty. From the sole of his feet to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. What a guy. Absalom. Look at this. No man in all of Israel as good looking as Absalom. He was so good looking that everybody saw him had to remark how good looking he was. I struggled with that for years, but I was able to, I finally outgrew it. From top to bottom, the beautiful, handsome, glorious Absalom. And when he returns, obviously, the people begin to say, ooh, there's Absalom. People won't remember how he killed his brother. They won't remember how he had been banished by the king for what he had done. All they will think about is how glorious Absalom is. I mean, this is a, this is a book, this is a page out of, out of Hollywood or something. People magazine, I don't know. Something, this guy would command attention just for his looks. Remember King Saul. He became king just for his looks. You remember that? He was taller than anybody and he was a handsome guy and all that kind of stuff. So here is Absalom. Nobody in all of Israel as beautiful as Absalom. So that everybody remarks about what a handsome man he is. From the sole of his feet to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. It's hard for me to imagine lovely feet on a man. But that's what it says. There was no blemish in him. Man, he didn't have a wart, a mole, a pimple. He had no blem The Bible says there was no blemish in him. 
And I got to think, I don't know. Uh, oh, well. And when he shaved his head, and it was at every year's end that he shaved it. So he got a haircut once a year. And he has this beautiful head of hair, thick hair. He shaved it because the hair was heavy on him. <laughs> and then he would shave it. He weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. Who weighs his hair? This guy was just full of himself. Can you see that? Ooh, that's a lovely pile of hair. How much does that weigh? <laughs> I go to the barber shop, man. There's nothing there. Nothing. Started wearing a hat because my hair, my head is so cold. There's no hair there. But he didn't have that problem. All that hair on his head. And to Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. Now, do you see he named that girl after his sister who was raped? Those, by the time we get to chapter 18 here, he has no sons. So somewhere between these chapters, those three sons die. Doesn't say how, doesn't, but they, they die. They don't make it to chapter 18. His daughter Tamar, and she was a woman of beautiful appearance. Okay. If anybody looked like first family in Israel, it would have been Absalom and his beautiful family. Drew the attention of everybody. Well, this begins to present problems for King David. And this is all leading up to Absalom's rebellion. And he even briefly takes the throne for a while. And exile, his own father has to run for his life, David. We'll get to there in a few chapters. Oh, she was a woman of beautiful appearance. But then the time comes when Joab brings Absalom to the king. Absalom dwelt in Jerusalem two full years and never saw the king's face. And Absalom sent to Joab and he said to, and to send him to the king and he would not come to him. He sent a second time and he would not come. And he said to his servants, Joab's field is near mine and he has barley there. Go set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Now this would not have been a hidden event. This would be something that everybody would have known about. So here's Joab, the crusty old seasoned warrior who could lop a head off at just the blink of an eye for irritating him. And then here was beautiful, wonderful, handsome Absalom. So how are the people going to feel? Well, there will have to be a settlement as to what happened. So this is why Joab comes to him. Joab arose, he came to Absalom, to his house, and he said to him, why did your servant set my field on fire? Absalom said to Joab, behold, I have sent to you saying, come here that I may send you to the king to say, why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me if I were still there. And now I will see the king's face. And if there's iniquity in me, then let him kill me. So what Absalom is saying is, I'm better off to go back where I was or stand before the king and let him kill me for the thing that I've done 
But living like this, not being able to see the face of my father, and of course, in his heart, secretly knowing that he belongs there as the heir to the throne so that he can begin to learn the ropes. That's kind of in the back of his mind for sure. Then if I'd rather he kill me than just leave me in this, this, this state of suspended animation. So Joab came to the king and he told him and he called for Absalom and he came to the king and he prostrated himself to him on his face to the ground before the king and the king kissed Absalom. Now this story deepens, this story with Absalom. And David, the consequences of David's sin continue to pile upon him because he has reconciled Absalom who has a dark motive in his heart. And he even finds allies from among the king's closest advisors. And we will see that as the story moves along. But the lesson to learn is the continuing lesson of the consequences of sin because the, 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 uh, the tryst between David and Bathsheba, the, the sin, extends itself into years and affects so many other people, even to the point of affecting the kingdom itself. And the kingdom, the kingdom comes to shaky grounds when, when there is betrayal and King David has to flee for his life and, and live out in the fields because of his son. And then, and then how it all is worked out in really a, a terrible and, and tragic way, the consequences of his sin. That story picks up next time, but for right now, we'll have our uh, uh, deacon prayer time.